Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Lorian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me this week. It's a huge help when you like, rate, and subscribe to Between the Creations wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook for news about upcoming episodes. You can find out more about the podcast, submit topics you'd like me to cover on an episode, or even ask me to speak at your event at laurienhook.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome so much, so much. Wow, that's a new intro. So much welcome to Between the Creations, uh, this podcast that I do every week with different friends of mine, different people in kind of theological, biblical, Christian circles, and we talk about all kinds of stuff, and you guys already know that because if you're listening, hopefully you've listened to some previous episodes as well. Today, I'm really excited. I'm here with a really good friend of mine, Michelle Kernut. I, gosh, Michelle, I... I've known you for over 15 years, yes. I think. Over, yes. I actually did the math. Mm-hmm. I was pr- productive in my ride over here and actually was like, how long have I known her? It's been over 15 years, mm-hmm. which is crazy to me. And uh, so I first met Michelle. She was a teacher of mine back in high school. Uh, she discipled me. We became friends and we just, the rest is history, I guess. We've uh, hung out forever. We've hung out forever. Do you what? Tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you want people to? How do you want people? What do you want people to know about you? I guess. Hmm. What do I want people to know about me? I can make something <laughs> up really good. Um, well, I um, currently I am stay at home momming it like a champ, or at least attempting to. Yeah. In the middle of um, all of this twenty twenty that is twenty twenty. <laughs> yes, um, I am doing that. I um, have gosh. I taught for seven years, and so I taught uh, church history and world religions back in the day. Back and in the day. <laughs> it really feels like back in the day. When I tell my daughter that I used to be a teacher, she's like, what? That's really weird. Why would you teach other people? She has no frame of reference no. for that. And so, um, and I do still have a heart for teaching. When I get a chance to teach, I enjoy teaching. Um, I'm also uh, just you know active at my church. Um, my husband's on staff at a church, uh, here in town and he does uh, marriage and family counseling and I direct one of the choirs there and do things with the women's ministry and music ministry and you're just kind of all over the place. I'm all over the place. I, it just depends on the day. So Michelle kind of sells herself a little bit short. She's incredibly intelligent, like incredibly intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> taught like church history, church history, world religions, like knows a lot of things about a lot of things. And um, so today we're going to talk about one of the topics that comes up uh, when you talk about world religions kind of, but also just culture and the differing perspectives of Western culture, Eastern culture, but even beyond that, just more localized culture and the way that um, people relate to each other the way people relate to God is actually framed a lot by the culture that you grew up in. Yes, I would say very, very much, much is, very much so. is framed by the culture that you grew up in, your family, your extended family, just, you know, wherever you find yourself, your worldview is, is so impactful mm-hmm. in all of those things. So, uh, just to kind of jump into the conversation for those of you who don't know, some of you may have, have, have been kind of, uh, I don't know, exposed to this information, there's there's th- primarily three different types of breakdowns when it comes to categories of 
worldviews, way you grew up, understanding your culture, understanding relating to God, those types of things. One of them is is what we're kind of going to really focus on. It's called the honor honor shame kind of you know setup. Then you have other ones. You have power fear. You have guilt and innocence, and those are the three kind of main. I guess, houses that you probably grew up in without even realizing it. Would you kind of give us, in your own words, however you want to, introductions to those types of, of those ways of understanding yeah, the world? Absolutely. Um, so just getting into how I even became interested in this real quick. Yeah. Um, I did not teach this when I was a teacher. This no. This not one of those things that <laughs> came up in class. And so actually, this is something that I have just been studying on my own probably for the past five years. Um, I, uh, grew up in a home that, um, my home was a biracial home. And so my mom, she's a white Texas girl, <laughs> my dad, um, Asian man from Indonesia, but he's Chinese Indonesian and came over, uh, immigrated to the States when he was 20. And so, um, they got married. And so the home I grew up in, um, culture was an interesting thing because uh, my mom's culture and my dad's culture were both very different. And the way that they interacted were, was different. The way that they understood the world it was different. And so uh, I didn't realize that growing up. I just thought this is my normal. This is how I, you know, this is how life is. And not till I probably went to college did mm-hmm. I realize, oh, everybody doesn't experience life the exact <laughs> same way that I do. Like other people have different experiences growing up. And so, um, I also, I think growing up, um, just in, we, I experienced some things in, I guess, in family and with friends and even then through traveling where I just started to see brokenness in the world more. I just started to really pay attention to the fact that relationships were so easily broken by understand by not understanding mm-hmm. differences yeah. and why somebody was different than me and um, just kind of seeing how, oh gosh, seeing how not understanding one another could lead to a breakdown in communication and how it could lead to a breakdown in relationship, how it can lead to a breakdown in understanding um, the gospel yeah. or even talking about it with somebody. Um, but not knowing that the reason was because maybe we come from two different worldviews. Sure. Just thinking, you don't get it the way that I get <laughs> it. How come you don't understand things in the way that I do? Yeah. And um, my parents actually uh, got divorced when I was older, um, when I turned 30. And I just remember after that happened and just having seen some of the things that the struggles like with um, the ways that they interacted and communicated, just becoming more interested in hmm, what are ways to fix brokenness? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that are broken. You know, we see struggles with, like, people coming from other countries. Like, well, they're not like me. I don't know. If, I don't understand them, and I f- sometimes can fear them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think a lot of people struggle with that fear. Or this person is a different color skin than I am. I don't understand them, and or I don't understand their experiences. And not being able to have that conversation, seeing how that can lead to um, all kinds of issues. And then, you know, in my own family, people from two different cultures um, having communications and, like, hearing completely different things. Sure, yeah. So going into this, in our American culture, Mm -hmm. for the most part, you would say 
uh, our culture is a guilt and innocence culture. Yep. And so we, when you, when you think about the Western world, so the U.S., you know, Europe, most of Europe, um, Australia in general, you tend to think of a guilt and innocence culture, a lot of courtroom language mm-hmm. or legal language used when we talk about um, how we make decisions or how we decide what is right and wrong. The yeah. words right and wrong in and of themselves are used a lot in our culture. We're very focused on right and wrong. And anybody who's from our culture would be like, well, why wouldn't you be focused on right and wrong? Like that's I mean, that's... It seems natural that to, seems to a us. Natural, yeah. a natural choice of words, for sure. And so if you do right, you're an innocent person. If you do wrong, you're a guilty person. If you do wrong, the way that you fix that is you ask forgiveness or you seek, um, you seek um, either to like pay a reparation mm-hmm. or to pay for it by some type of, you know, you serve some type of a punishment to pay yeah, for Yeah, there's it. a legal, like a legal transaction almost exactly. that, that has to happen. And you have to do that in order to kind of be um, reinstituted. Justice is sought and demanded. You need to make an apology. You need to settle it with the person or the people that you've wronged it with. And that's kind of how you, that's what the transaction kind of looks like of right and wrong or morals. That's yeah. kind of the way that... It's handled. And so it's also a very individualistic um, culture. And so we are very focused on the fact that anything that you do, it only affects you. Mm. Okay. So if you do something wrong, well, that's on you. That's your fault. Yeah. That is something that you need to pay for. Yeah. And so we're very, very big, big on the idea of, you know, making something of yourself or becoming your own person Mm -hmm. or everything that you see in the West is teaching people how to become self-sufficient, financially independent. Yeah. Like just this big focus on you should be able to take care of yourself and kind of govern yourself. And that's all you're responsible for. Yeah. And, and let me jump in. There's this, and I've, I've actually talked about this with a lot of friends of mine. There's this weird, like undercurrent that seeps in when, especially in the West, especially in America, I think even maybe more uh, localized, that if you do something wrong or what mm. someone else would label, quote, wrong, whether it's actually right or wrong is is debatable in some instances. But if you do something that I think is wrong, mm. there's this like retributive justice element that I carry that, that somehow tells me that you have to pay for that. Right. And if you don't pay and you get away with it or something like that's mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this like almost self-righteousness. I don't know what it is, but there's just this thing that rises up in us that says, no, you have to like, yeah. there are consequences and you actually should maybe suffer a little bit because you messed up. Right. And that's just so strange when you, when you think, when you actually step back and try to, hold that up to the lens of, you know, what, what the scriptures tell us, what the gospel says. And we're just, but we're like, no, you have to pay for that. And obviously there are consequences to our actions. That's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> of course, of course. But there's this like vindictiveness almost mm-hmm. that seeps in when we're like, no, you have to pay for that. And I'm going to make sure you do. Yes. And, oh, it's, it's really, really damaging in a lot of places and just and fascinating to observe. So anyways, I know I interrupted you a little no, bit. No, that's okay. It's, it's really true. interesting to watch that play out. Gosh, I see that with my seven-year-old. My seven-year-old, <laughs> she is like full-on justice mode all the time. And so <laughs> we'll be reading a story. And if the bad guy gets away with something, she's like, what? Mommy, that is not right. That is not okay. I do not like that person. They need to be, I want to hit them. <laughs> she's like mad. Yeah. So it's, yes, I completely, that's very much how our culture is. And what seems very normal, you know. 
And so uh, um, another thing about the guilt and innocence culture that's really um, important is that when somebody makes a mistake, okay, the emphasis is on the fact that, like, I made a mistake, my action was bad. The thing that I did was a bad thing. I shouldn't have done that. Um, and what you'll see is when we look at some of the other contexts, context, it's not so much the focus on the action, but it's the focus on the person. Yeah. And so in a guilt and innocence culture, it's not you are a bad person altogether through and through, but what you did was bad. And mm-hmm. you need to apologize for what you did, Yeah. not for who you are. And um, so on the inside, I'm guilty. I need to ask for forgiveness, but that doesn't make me bad as a whole person. And so you fix your actions with actions and... Um, yeah, so you just hear like those words like legal, just, justified, innocent, guilty, um, judged, like just those kind of those those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Law, yeah. order, um, all of that is very guilt and innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just to touch on fear and power, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, yeah. I know, but just to touch on it, fear and power is most common in a lot of. I would say probably in a lot of African countries, although they also have a lot of honor shame in there too. Yeah. Um, and the Caribbean and a lot of Native American cultures. Okay. Any place where you find a tribal element or an animistic element where they're focusing on the worship of nature mm-hmm. or spirits, appeasing yeah. spirits um, or nature or, you know, anything like that. Um, a strong pull maybe towards like ancestry and, and very yeah. often, especially, um, especially in African culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, actually, also a Native American as well. And so um, people are afraid of evil. That's their main fear is I'm afraid of evil. And so what they're going to do is I'm going to pursue a way to appease whatever power it is that is out there. I need to figure out a way to appease it, manipulate it, get it on my side mm-hmm. by doing something using magic or rituals, okay. usually. And so, um, or something along those lines. And um, some type of a spiritual mechanism to make that happen in my favor. Mm -hmm. And so there's just this fear of, I don't know what they're going to do. So everything that I do has to be to, um, win them over. Gotcha. And so the fear is of doing the wrong action. If I do the wrong action or if I say the wrong thing, well, then the spirits will be mad at me and they will do this to my family. They will do this to my crops. They Mm -hmm. will do this to my, um, my job or whatever. And that fear of, um, being, um, What's the word? Why am I not thinking? (laughs) But just the fear of punishment in a sense for not doing the right thing. And so you'll you'll mostly see in the Western world, you see a lot less of fear and power Mm. influence because most, you know, we've been influenced by modernism, by rationalism, the enlightenment, all of that. And so this idea that there's, um, you know... It's almost like, well, that's a superstition. Yeah. Like, we, we don't believe in stuff like that. Yeah. And um, you'll see it in pockets with, like, um, you know, people who like astrology or horoscopes or, you know, tarot card readers and psychics. And, like, all of that kind of falls under that fear and power type of umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will see it in pockets. Like, for instance, um, the New Orleans area has got a lot of mm-hmm. that voodoo influence. And so you'll see elements of that fear power. You know, that might be a subculture. Yeah. Of, a fear power element in some of that. Um, but uh, we, we in the Western world, we tend to forget that the unseen is real mm-hmm. and we tend to focus just on what we see. Yeah. And um, so it's really 
it's a it's a really interesting thing. Like biblically, we do see principalities. We do see absolutely, you know, that there are unseen beings, there are you know angels and demons, and mm-hmm. you know, so the they actually recognize that there's that other that other dimension in mm-hmm. a sense, but. Um, they seek to control it. Yeah, in the West, we we write it off really, really quickly. Yes. And and we, yes. I think, much to our detriment in a lot of ways, because, I mean, mm-hmm. even, you read the Old Testament, Moses even, I think it's in, Lam- not, Lamenta- not <laughs> Lamentations, <laughs> <laughs> Leviticus. Yes. Wow, I need to start with an L. Bible, Bible scholar over here. Um, I mean, even, even in the Old Testament, Moses calls these other powers demons like there's mm-hmm. there's a, there's places where even even as far back as that these evil kind of systems in the world and these right. evil demonic ways of of being in the world and and things that people would worship and things that people would pay homage to they're re- he's, he, no one says they're not real and i think mm-hmm. we forget that and it, yeah. it it's even in the new testament i mean you just you just mentioned there's you know principalities and our struggles not not against flesh and blood and all right. this idea it's right. still very real and we just don't like to think about it that way because in a lot of ways, like you said, our, you know, postmodern, rationalistic, enlightened, Western way of, of thinking just doesn't want to deal with it. No. Because in some ways, maybe it seems, you know, cheesy to us, but it's still very, it's still very real in a lot of ways. Maybe mm-hmm. not in the ways that some of those other cultures have it play out, but there's, there is this unseen element um, and realm that, that we have to reckon with that we just don't in the West. Right. At all. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then the third one, of course, is honor and shame, which yeah. is the one that we're going to talk about mostly today. And honor and shame is it kind of important because it actually is the predominant um, worldview of 80% of the world. And a lot of people don't realize that, but but the guilt and innocence pocket that we're in is actually very small comparatively speaking and so it's this is most common in um, Asia in Central and South America um, in the Middle East and even some pockets of Europe um, as well and so 80% of the world and these are going to be more um, collectivist cultures. So these are going to be cultures that do not focus on you being an individual and you making yourself like known and understood as a person who is different from any other person. That is not the way that they view the world. They're they're more going to be focused on doing things for the good of the group. And they're going to be more focused on um, if I make decisions, or actually I don't make decisions, my my community helps make decisions with me and for me, my parents, my family, the people I'm a part of, um, we, we live this life together. And so it's not like I'm living this life for myself. It's I live my life mm-hmm. for the good of others, yeah. for the greater good. And that is the majority of the world that tends to think that way. We are very much in the minority there. And so these cultures are generally going to rely more on things like um, they they don't care as much about words Mm. or specific words or semantics, as we would say. They're more going to watch your nonverbal cues, your body language. They're going to kind of look at your facial expressions and kind of pick up on what they need to do next based on what they are picking up there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they pay attention to context of relationships. So the relationship between people dictates a lot about how you talk to them. Like their social status. Their social status. Yeah. And also familial status. So like a parent to a child or a grand, like an, an elder to a younger. Okay. Um, also, but social status, like a teacher to a student or um somebody who is maybe a wealthier member of society to somebody who is lesser in that in that manner. And so just a lot of different, there's a lot of hierarchies yeah. to pay attention to. Um, another thing is that that you don't see in these cultures, they're not as direct with their with their words because directness is rude. Mm. Um, if you we're we're very candid and direct and blunt <laughs> as a society. Not yeah. every individual, because obviously there's room for personality, but um, we are efficient. We like to get things done. And so therefore we're just going to say what we need mm-hmm. and hope that it, you know, we can fix it faster. Yeah. Um, relationships are the most important thing in an honor shame culture. The most, you do everything to preserve relationship, to preserve, um, that harmony of relationship yeah. and <clears throat> maintaining harmony, trying to avoid conflict, following social protocols and, and certain courtesies, um, and getting along is like more important than getting a task done, which here we're the, like, what? It does <laughs> not translate. <laughs> it literally does not translate into Western sp- American Mm-mm. culture. No. This idea of harmony over getting the project done. And of course, there's room for yeah. personality. So all my Enneagram yeah. nines who are listening to this are just melting on the inside, probably yeah, about like, wait, no. what? They're, they're like, I want to go live with those people where they value this harmony rather than getting the job done. Right. And like 90% of Americans and, and the rest of the, the Western kind of world is like, no, efficiency, efficiency, like, efficiency. Stuff done, you're wasting my time. Exactly. I got other things to do. <laughs> yeah, not so in a lot of these other cultures. And so, um, your honor and your shame are kind of like your social, uh, Jason George's. This is how he kind of describes it. Uh, he says it's like your social credit rating. Mm. And so, um, your honor is your social worth, your value in the eyes of the whole society, of your community, of your family. And what they think of you is what matters, which again, you say that in our culture and people are like, oh no, it does not yeah. matter what anybody My family doesn't me. own me, you know, no, like this. <laughs> exactly. And so it's what other people, when you want other people to think well of you, they, you want them to want to be um, associated with you. Mm-hmm. Like you want them to think, oh, this person, this is a good person. They have a good influence in this community and you want to have influence in the yeah. community. And um, relationship is necessary for this. And so shame on the flip side is you're like a negative social Like you're dead. Yes. And so this is what happens if the community thinks badly of you. And you get left out of things. You get excluded. Um, You, since this is based on what other people think of you, um, you cannot fix it yourself. Somebody who is at a higher place in that community, whether they have a higher place of honor um, or status, they have to restore you. You cannot restore yourself. You cannot fix it yourself. Somebody of a higher rank has to come in, kind of shepherd you into this, um, place you in public Mm -hmm. and honor you or lift you back up in order for you to regain status. And so you can't do anything about it yourself, which... um, which can be a frustrating element sure. of of um, of that, and so shame also means you didn't just make a mistake. It means your entire person is bad. Mm-hmm. You are inadequate. You are not good enough. 
you have no worth. Yeah, it's the, it's that difference between guilt and shame. Like yes. you, I mean, you, yes. you hinted at earlier. Guilt is just, oh, I did a bad thing. Right. I made a mistake. I messed up right there. Shame is I'm a bad person mm-hmm. because of what I did or just in my person. It, I'm, right. you know, bad. And so I think that's a really important distinction to make. Shout out to Brene Brown. She speaks a lot on that. She does Highly a lot recommend about all it. the things. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's an important distinction to make, especially when talking mm-hmm. about these different cultures, is that shame just, is, again, you, and you can't fix it. Like, no. It's your whole person is just has to be and you can't do anything about it. Right. So you have to. um, And and the reasons that you get shamed in an honor shame culture is if you do something that doesn't fulfill the group's expectation of you. And so that can be in a lot of things Mm -hmm. like um, an arranged marriage. If you choose not to engage in the arranged marriage that your family has Mm -hmm. picked for you, you know, um, you are not fulfilling the group expectation that can bring shame. Um, in India, Ravi Zacharias, the, um, the late apologist, he just he, he would talk about from his childhood in India how he how in general there's so much emphasis placed on how kids do in school, mm-hmm. and they will take your exam grades and such, and they will um, they'll post them in the newspaper for for everyone in the community to see and based on how you do your family is either honored or shamed yeah. in a way and how much pressure there is on kids to get these grades and he um, talks about how he struggled with his grades and felt the shame that he was bringing onto his family to the point where he actually tried to commit suicide mm. over it and that's actually a major major you know issue in some parts of India um, there is this with young people, this issue of bringing shame on your entire family through your, through your grades. Yeah. And so that would be one example of, yeah, you are a bad person. You have brought this onto your entire family. So it's also, shame is also contagious. So if you are shamed, your family is shamed, your people are shamed. Mm. It's like, it's a, it spreads quickly. Yeah. And so it's like, you have done this to all of us kind of thing. Not yeah. just you've done this to yourself. Um, so your, um, your, your personal desires are not important in a situation like this. It is what is important for the group. What is the desire of the group? What honors the group? Mm -hmm. Um, that's how you make your decisions. Like what job you have? Well, what does your family want you to do? You know, or, um, what do they think is best for you to do? You, You know, the people you marry or the decisions that you make in your life, it needs to be for the the common good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really interesting, uh, especially thinking about just like what you said at the beginning, kind of when we were doing intros. Like if you're not talking, you, you could be speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we're both speaking English, but if I'm coming from you know, honor, shame, you're coming from guilt, innocence or whatever, like we're going to miss each other on certain points For because, sure. and, and I've, I've seen this play in my own life actually with, with different friends that I have who are, mm-hmm. whose families are different cultures or have come from different parts of the world. And so my very, you know, Western, very American way of, of thinking of things more from the guilt, innocence perspective they're, for example, they're they're mostly for the most part the friends that I'm thinking of. They're coming more from from honor shame type mm-hmm. cultures, and we have missed each other in conversations countless times. And I and I've left conversations immensely frustrated because I'm like, if they would just like make a decision mm-hmm. for themselves, yeah, just break it, out, yeah, of just it. break just out break of the free, yeah, like you know, <laughs> yeah. break out of the family, you know, yeah. that, that type yes. of thing, and which is so encouraged for the most part in Western 
cultures right. is for you again this individualism this you know you yeah. know get out of the nest go be free mm-hmm. go create a name for yourself go you know become financially and emotionally and you know everything independent and you know maybe even move across the country to show just how independent you are and right. leave your family you know, all those things right um is just not the language that that these other cultures speak and it it's no. it can be really damaging in relationships on just a personal level <clears throat> if we're not aware of hey other cultures exist. Let's just start there. Like, right. Other ways of seeing the world exist. Honestly, that right there, that could be a whole podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. Because, yeah. I mean, it's it's immensely important to realize. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds really simple. Yeah. The way you see the world is not the way I see the world. And the right. way you interpret things that are being thrown at you is not the way I interpret the, mm-hmm. s- the same things that could be thrown at me. And if we and I think that that honestly that understanding, which again I know sounds really elementary, but we forget it like all the time. We yeah. we forget, forget, forget. I think that understanding and that foundation mm. is immensely important and necessary. Let's just start at for friendships and for like yeah. being coworkers with someone who's different right. and for working in groups with someone who's different. Let alone talking about theology and Christianity mm-hmm. and the gospel. I think mm-hmm. that. I mean, let's just start at like, can, can you actually have a healthy friendship with someone who's of a different culture and learn their language, so to speak? Um, because otherwise you yeah. don't have any emotional capital. It takes work. And yeah, it, and it takes time. And I think that's the hard thing is that in this is that relationship is so important, not just in this and <laughs> in all of these sure. discussions that we have. Relationship is so important to understanding the deepest levels of, of where people are coming from and their experiences and their family and cultural background and um, just, I mean, yeah, just the way that they've grown up. So, yeah. Anyway. What, uh, so I'd like to kind of jump in a little bit. I know, do you, first of all, let me ask, do you have anything else that you wanted to share about any of that? I don't want to cut you oh, off. Girl. I know I know you, you can go for a while. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things. I don't even know. I Well, okay, let, I don't know if you want to talk about this now. Like, go for it. Different types of shame. Let's talk about different types of shame. I think because, and here's, let me, let me kind of give a little bit of backstory as to the reason for kind of why we're spending so much time yeah. talking about shame and talking about kind of that, the, the whole honor shame situation, even though it's not predominantly what we experience in America and in the West, where I'm assuming most of my listeners are, wherever you are, thank you. Um, <laughs> I think that it's interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about this later as well, but the different types of shame, I think, and I've had so many conversations with people who, the word shame keeps coming up over and over mm-hmm. and over again in my conversations with fellow Christians right. about how they relate to God. Mm. So it's almost this weird situation that I that is happening in my conversations with people where they grew up, like I did with more of the the legal system type of, you know, guilt, innocence situation. And you wouldn't think that naturally then that's how I relate to, to God is through mm-hmm. this guilt, innocence lens. And that's true. Like we definitely have a lot of courtroom language in our Christian experience in the West. But there's also this, on the other hand, this strange thing that I'm beginning to experience more and more over the past mm-hmm. several years where people who grew up guilt, innocence, are somehow still relating to God mm-hmm. out of shame. 
For sure. And it's this strange thing where these two types of cultural things are, are overlapping. And mm-hmm. so I think talking about different types of shame is really important in our conversations about interpersonal relationships, right. but also in our conversations about how I relate to to God. Right. So let's let's talk about let's talk about different types of shame. So, yeah. Well, and so I think it's interesting because there has been such a, there's been a, a lar- much larger preoccupation with the word shame and what it is. I, th- I would say in the past several years, like like you said, Brene Brown, she's she's one of the people that a lot of people think of the most about talking about this in um, in America right now. But um, uh, so. There's the kind of shame that is shame because you are, um, I don't know, a lot of times when I would think of shame, a feeling of shame inside of myself, especially in the West, you tend to see it more as a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's a personal, like I feel ashamed. I feel bad about myself. Like it's almost like a, like a low self worth, low self esteem kind of thing. Yeah, and um, so it's a tricky balance because there's the kind of destructive, degrading shame that you can feel towards yourself, and also that people can impose on you for things. There's also another type of shame, and so this is where we have to be really careful about our language and to make sure we know what we're talking about when we're talking with somebody about it. There's also the kind of shame that keeps you from doing things you shouldn't be doing. True. And so it's kind of, it's hard because there's, um, I know in, in, in going back to ironically criminal criminality language, uh, called reintegrative, mm-hmm. um, shaming. And that's just like teaching you how to, um, focus on your behavior. Like this is a shameful behavior. This is a behavior you should not repeat or should not yeah. do. And it keeps you from doing it. Yeah. Like you should wear clothes in public. Absolutely. Like that's, that's a yes. almost, and again, like I know I granted yes. y- listeners of the podcast, you guys know where I stand on hashtag purity culture and that's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but like you should have yeah. at least something, something on. And that's kind of like culturally accepted for the most right. part. Like there's, there's this almost, I don't know if I would call it healthy shame again, that goes back to the whole like purity culture, but there is a collective agreement that there should be some type of norm right. ma- normality happening here that right. we all agree. That's probably not wise like right. for you to be wearing that or not to be wearing anything. Right. And some of that comes from culture and from society and some of that is good. Yeah. Then, but there's also like this biblical shame mm-hmm. that we feel like as sinners, you know, shame for our sin, mm. shame for the things that like th- the, the things that we um, have done. And yeah. so there's this, you know, the shame that is more of a, when I've done something wrong, I should feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. I should feel like I don't want to do that again. I shouldn't do that again. That's Which is, yeah, which is interesting. So let's talk about that for a second, mm-hmm. because I think that you you talked in just a few seconds ago about how kind of the the idea of of shame that we maybe experience in the West is much more individualized than than usually this, usually not always yes, but then a collective like familial or group shame that would happen perhaps mm-hmm. so like in India kind of examples you were giving about grades and right. stuff like that. This is this is not across the board, but kind of using that as an example. In Christianity, when we're mm-hmm. talking about sin or when we're talking about sin patterns and um, stuff like that, I think that something that would be actually really helpful for us yeah. is to experience or, or to not experience, but to explore group shame when it comes mm. to certain issues. Obviously, yeah. race is, is a yeah. huge issue right now, but not even just that, but how, just the idea about how my actions don't just affect me. Mm. And so if I do something wrong that mm. I know is wrong, that, that society, that culture, that even my religion tells me is wrong, mm. 
Right. It doesn't just affect me. So my shame, again, this whole individualistic culture that we have in the West, we miss this 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 um, reality that it's actually it's affected more than just me. And so yeah. there's you no know, granted my whole community isn't going to be shamed with me necessarily, but it's it's my shame has not just affected me. Right. And we don't deal with that super well in the West. Sometimes mm-hmm. we we still prefer this individualistic approach to things like sin right um but i mean collective confession and collective Mm. understanding of how our systemic sins have affected others and affected ourselves i think is really important to kind of so let's borrow some of that language (laughs) and borrow some of that understanding in a healthy way to to deal with some of the things that are just rampant in ourselves and in our in our cultures and in our churches. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this that I want to say about these three methods of looking at things. And I've kind of, these three methods of looking at the world um, is that there are elements of it, of each one of them that are good. Yeah. And there are elements of each one of them that are not good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just kind of like, it's just um, a different way of, looking, um, again, Jason George is one of the ways he's like, it's it's looking into a diamond and each one's a different facet of looking at the world, of looking at the gospel, of looking at like the Lord created us Mm. in each of these cultures. And actually, I mean, wrote the, like the Bible is written in an honor shame culture, but that's a whole nother, (laughs) that's a whole nother thing. But he, um, he placed us, you know, we're, we're in these cultures. We are born into these different ways of thinking. And each one of them has something to add Mm -hmm. to the conversation. And each one of them has something to add in the view, our view of the gospel, um, and who, who God is. And, and each one of them also has some things that are not helpful and things that we looking through the lens of scripture would have to say, Mm, that's not biblical. Yeah. So this element of the culture is maybe something that I shouldn't follow, mm-hmm. you know? And so just trying to kind of look through it and see like, you know what, there's actually a really a lot of good things to see in each of these cultures. Um, and we'd have to, again, spend a lot more time diving into that, but um, trying to see like using the Bible as a lens, but again, the Bible is written in honor, shame. Yeah. Lens. And you're also reading it through your lens of, it, of what culture and what worldview you, right. you come with. So. so we're actually recontextualizing when, when we read it in the West, we contextualize it back into our more Western yes. innocence language. And so <laughs> we're actually the ones flipping that there. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that we can't see good things in that way. We have to just make sure that we are able to go back and say, okay, so written in this context, like mm-hmm. this is what, this is why this is important. Yeah. And so this is why this language is important. This is why it's so beautiful when we read the gospels, when we see these words like name and glory and face and sons and adoption and um, gosh, iniquity and scorn. Like you can feel a, a power behind those words when you understand the culture that it was written in. Yes. And they mean different things. They're more powerful in meaning, I think, and stronger when you understand all of the emotions that would go with that if you're from yeah. the culture. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And I think that coming to those conversations, again, and just, again, just this healthy reminder for all of us that when we approach the scriptures, we approach with our own baggage and we approach mm-hmm. with our own experiences with God, of God, about God. We approach with our experiences of our family, of our just way we were brought up, of how we view ourselves. Yeah. And to to dial some of that back takes time. 
And so you have to actually, you almost have to, part of approaching the Bible is actually stripping, trying to strip away some of all the baggage that you brought with. And I'm not saying we come to it without our, you can't come to it without your personality. It's not possible. That is so integrated into you. But the goal is to even bring our personalities and our cultures and our way of examining the world under the authority of Christ. Exactly. And I think that that is where mm-hmm. it. I, I was watching a YouTube video of um, it was a, it was a group of uh, of Muslims talking about just faith and then their experience with God and or, or it just it was really interesting. I was I was like how do, how do they approach these conversations mm-hmm. about about you know these things in culture and whatnot and. Uh, one of the the gentlemen he said something that was really interesting to me. He he and again if you, if you've read the if you read the Bible it's like oh it's right there. But he he said look he goes you can have all these rules you can have all of this cultural identity you can have all of this way of being in the world. But if there's not this internal structural heart change that affects your desires that affects your attitude that affects your actions he goes then the structures are pointless he's Mm. like they're not doing anything so unless we allow as christians unless we allow um just the scriptures but but more importantly than that even just the spirit of jesus to impact our lives we're not going to be able to have these conversations in a Mm -hmm. healthy way and it's hard because you want to make sure that you have a cultural sensitivity but also a, a theological robustness Mm -hmm. there too. You don't want to sacrifice that because it it, it would be really easy to just say, okay, culture is what's the most important and then just adjust accordingly Mm -hmm. to the culture. But then that becomes something that we call syncretism. And syncretism is when you are, you know, you, you, the actual theological accuracy of what you're reading is not as important as the culture. Whereas contextualization is taking the culture that you've got Mm -hmm. and taking um, the the theological, the orthodox, you know, teachings of scripture and putting them together in a way that that culture can understand that theo- mm-hmm. like that theology yeah. and understand who Christ is, and it still be accurate, mm-hmm. but it with pictures and wording and metaphors and things that they understand. Yeah, we can't. And I mean, if you talk to any missionary or anything or anyone in that line of work and that calling. They will tell you, 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 I can't, especially if they're, especially if they're from a different culture, mm. they're like, I can't walk into like I, me, someone who grew up in the South in the United States, you know, from Texas, born and raised, I can't walk into, you know, Ethiopia mm-hmm. or a, a, a place in India or somewhere in Uzbekistan, or it doesn't matter. I can't walk into those cultures mm-hmm. and just plop down my understanding of God right. and plop down my understanding of how the gospel should impact my community and expect it to translate right. because it's not going to. And so this, we have to be moldable, I think. And we have yeah. to be willing to, even in, even in conversations with people next door to you who are different than you, right. because we like to think that the different people are across an ocean or in another state or in another country, but the different people are often even in our own families, oh, for sure. <laughs> even yeah. in our next door, yeah. you know, whatever. And I think that being able to have healthy conversations that are deep, that are meaningful, that are powerful is really important. Mm-hmm. And I mean, w- there's not really any other uh, other way that's effective to have these conversations other than to be patient and to be willing to grow and be willing to listen. Right. And I think that we tend to, because we're convinced that our idea is right and that our position yes. is, the, is the one. And is the best one. Exactly. And so being willing to, yeah. to be moldable mm-hmm. and, to, and to learn from other cultures, yeah. uh, I think, is really important it's as the, we have these conversations. The humility. I think that's where we struggle is having the humility um, to, 
to be able to say, I can learn from you mm-hmm. if you grew up in a culture that is completely, completely different yeah. than what I've grown up in. And I, I mean, I, I can learn and I can grow mm-hmm. as a person from some of these things. And like, yeah, like that humility is one of those big things that I see um, in honor shame cultures that is actually a huge, like, there's so much of that, like, not focus on self, mm-hmm. but to focus on the others. And of, of course you can, we could have the discussion about, is it too far? Sure. But there's, but there's much more of a, a natural inkling to go to humility mm-hmm. than to be like, no, me, like, yeah. no individual. I'm, I am, this is how I don't conform to the rest of the world. This is how I am different, <laughs> you know, but it's like, look at me yeah. uh, in an honor shame culture. Be like, no, like, don't, that's not, don't look at me, you yeah. know, uh, don't focus on me. Yeah. And just, I think kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap us up here. I think that, that using these different cultural lenses, these different Mm -hmm. types of worldviews, and obviously there are caveats within each of them that we didn't explore. uh, I think that being willing to allow other people's experiences, their culture, their way of reading the scriptures, their experiences with, with what the Holy Spirit's doing in, in them and in their cultures, I think allowing those people and those places to speak to our understanding of God and to yeah. say, wow, you read that scripture really differently than I do. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah. And then, and be willing to, to change your mind about something. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, especially again, right, wrong type of culture, yeah. we do not like the willingness to have our minds changed right. uh, it, for the better sometimes. And I think that some of the best experiences of my life have been when I've been able to kind of quit white knuckling some of my expectations or beliefs or experiences and say, yeah. maybe there's room for something else here from what God has shown you. Um, because I think that, and I believe that God's active in all these cultures. And so how for do sure. we reconcile that and how do we understand mm-hmm. um, what the Spirit's doing across the world and even next door uh, right. is really important. So I'm actually going to have Michelle back for another episode to talk more about some of these things. And so it's going to be great. We're going to go a little bit further into honor shame, talk about how it actually, despite the fact that it's not the predominant thing in the West, how it's kind of infiltrated some more of our understandings of God and self we're going to talk about a whole lot of other things. So make sure that you tune in for that episode whenever it airs. We're really glad that you guys were with us today. You guys know the routine. Make sure you like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, all the things. We're super thankful for you guys. And I will be back later. Bye.